it, it was just a, that's a whole year away. You're going to wait to have a conversation for a whole year. I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Two Takes on Film, the only podcast that can see the color schmurple. My name is Wyatt Croy, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Heather Davenport. Hello. Heather and I are two best friends who love talking about all things movies. So if that sounds interesting to you, make sure to like and follow wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. With that being said... Thanks for joining us today, everyone. We've got a great episode for you on this lovely July weekend now. Mm. Getting in July. Before we get into some reviews, we want to talk about uh, something called the summer blockbuster, as it is summer. And those blocks do be busting. So we, I don't even know what that means. I don't either, but I, <laughs> I think I, I like it. I was just going to say, I don't know if I do like the <laughs> way that it sounds, but uh, whether we like it or not, those blocks do be busting and we want to talk about it. <laughs> the more you say it, the worse it gets. Yeah, it's true. Heather, um, bust some blocks for mm, us. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the biggest hits of the summer and frankly of the year has been Top Gun Maverick. If you have listened to our past handful of episodes, I think we have truly found a way to incorporate it into almost every episode since we've seen it. Even, even if just like a casual mention, I think even in the episode before we reviewed it, we were like, we're <laughs> we so were excited. Talking we're talking about about <laughs> like we're, we're at like 10 episodes in a row now where we yeah. not even just like sidebar mentioned it, like found a fairly significant way to add it to into talk about our it. episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're obviously big fans and it seems as though a lot of you are as well. And this has truly been um, a movie that has helped to get people back into theaters. Uh, if you recall, it came out over Memorial Day weekend and has continued to be at the number one spot in the box office up until this past weekend um, when it was just barely booted out by Elvis, which is one of the films that we'll be talking about today. Um, But Top Gun Maverick has officially surpassed the $1 billion mark in the worldwide ticket sales market uh, this weekend and global box office. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Uh, And it has now become the most successful film of Tom Cruise's career, which when, when we kind of um, just mentioned that fact, you seemed a little bit surprised by that. Are you surprised by that? What is his second most uh, successful film mission impossible i think that mission impossible fallout is at least of of ones that paramount has released but also this isn't adjusting for inflation at all sure i'm not i'm not right now making a claim that if we did adjust for inflation anything would beat it top gun maverick has made a ton of money yeah like i have to imagine that even the initial top gun 
or the original Top Gun, the original Mission Impossible, War of the Worlds from 2005. Like I have to imagine those will be pretty dang close if they were brought up, yeah. adjusted for inflation. Totally. Yeah. Um, speaking of the first Top Gun, it was in theaters for an entire year straight. Did you know Jeez, that? No. It stayed in the theater for a whole year. And obviously uh, the theater experience was so different back then. There wasn't as much coming out and mm-hmm. we didn't have streaming services. So it didn't have anywhere to go other than to, at that point, it was what VHS. Um, yeah. But yeah, it stayed in the theater for, for a year. So, well, another thing was that big hits in the theater um, were like much more slow burn at the time. Mm. By the time a movie is released, I mean, at least like a week after, even sometimes before it even comes out, you can basically just open your phone and find like the internets or the world's general consensus on whether or not this movie is good. Yeah. So you, you like know if you want to go see it or not, you want to go see it right away because you, the world is telling you, yes, you want to see it or no, you don't want to see it. But before like information and opinions weren't as easy access as they Mm -hmm. are now Mm -hmm. and so news of a movie being really good would travel slower like it would come out and it's not like people didn't know it was coming out there's still marketing and stuff back then but only certain people would really want to see it because it was their type of movie it was their actor that they liked whatever whatever then they'd see it oh they take their friends their friends would see it oh my gosh it's actually pretty good they would take their families their families would talk about it at like dinners and then you know and then more and more and then like a couple weeks or if not a month or two down the line people it would be this like worldwide phenomenon where it had spread enough that everyone heard this is a good movie let's go see it that sort of thing mm-hmm. it wasn't like immediate so movies were in theaters for a lot longer back then and it made sense to keep them in for a lot longer because if it was good if you had a good movie on your hand something that had the chance to be a hit the longer you let it brew the bigger it's going to get yeah. nowadays it doesn't make sense to keep them in because people are so see it once in the first week or two and then never watch it again mm-hmm. that after six weeks, just pull it out. You're losing yeah. money at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paramount has actually said that 16% of its viewers are actually repeat viewers nice. for this film. So people are not only going to see it, but are returning to the theater to see it. So um, just a huge success for Paramount, for Tom Cruise, for the whole Top Gun Maverick team. Um, And if it manages to stay in the theaters into the fall, it could be on track to chase the $659 million domestic box office record, which is long held by Titanic, which we just talked about a couple episodes ago uh, and is the biggest film in Paramount's history. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in their 110 year history. So, um, it's not, it's, I don't, I think it's possible. Do you think it's possible to get there if it sticks around for a bit longer? Um, no, I don't think that it is. You don't think it has a chance. I I mean, of course it has a chance, obviously has a better chance of than any movie right now. But I just don't see it happening. I, I want to put money on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, because it is a Paramount film, it likely will go to Paramount Plus when it is time for streaming. Yes. At least Sometimes, Paramount Plus, yeah. if not more. Right. 
would right. it extend beyond Paramount Plus, do you think? Sometimes, yeah. Paramount has a weird, I'm not entirely sure how they manage their properties in that way. Paramount yeah. Plus is kind of a, a mystery to me. Mm. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to, to wait and see what happens with Top Gun Maverick, but we just wanted to celebrate that success. It is the highest grossing film of the year thus far. Um, and so we'll see if it can hold on to that throughout the year as well. Do you have any thoughts about other things that are coming out this summer or later this year that you think could have a box office turnout like this one? No, I mean, Thor Love and Thunder will make a ton of money. Sure. That's probably the only thing left this summer that could rival it. Mm-hmm. Um, this winter, I'm trying to think. Nothing I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, obviously, like yeah. you have everything from award season, but nothing sure. will come close box office to wise this kind to of this. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, if you haven't already, go check out. Top Gun Maverick. It has actually returned to IMAX theaters in recent weeks, uh, pushing out Jurassic World uh, that did not have the the turnout and the influence that uh, was expected. And so it got booted. Just this last episode, I talked about being in in Hollywood and wanting to see a movie in at Chinese Grounds Theater in IMAX and Jurassic World being what was playing. And I chose not to, no matter, despite how much I love that movie. And I would have like settled for Lightyear or something like that. Um, just, you know, even just settled for like a decent movie. But I really wanted Maverick to still yeah. be in there. It was a bummer because I I was there the opening weekend of Jurassic World. If mm-hmm. I was there a week or two later, yeah. like now, yeah. I, I had the feeling that I would probably be bumped out and Maverick put back in. But opening weekend, of course, they're going to they're gonna yeah. put it in there. Yeah, so, of course. bummer. But yeah. if you if you haven't seen it, or even if you have seen it, and now you have the opportunity to go see it in IMAX, go seek that out for your second viewing or your first viewing if you haven't yeah. seen it, yeah. or your third viewing if you've already seen it twice. Or yeah. for me, I've already seen it three times, so maybe my fourth viewing will be in IMAX. Yeah, it's so good. It really two of my three viewings have been in IMAX, and yeah, they're phenomenal. I haven't done a repeat viewing yet, but I think I'm going to this weekend. My there, first viewing was in Dolby, so I think I might go IMAX for nice, the second nice, one. Nice, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a shot in the film, which I remember basically missing the first time I watched it, hmm. loving the second time, but again, feeling like I miss it. There's a shot during the climax of the film that is one of the coolest shots of all time. And I don't mean just like how they move the camera or anything like that. No, it's like fairly standard in terms of cinematography, but just where it lands in the story yeah and the visual buildup to it is just one of the coolest shots it's like four and a half seconds if that and i remember my third viewing of it i literally spent the entire two hours leading up to that shot just so excited for it (laughs) to see that four second shot and it was just over and done but Hmm. it is just awe-inspiring wow the whole movie though there's so many moments throughout that when you finish the movie where you're like man i want to go watch it again because because I want to watch that like single part again, the opening act of the film, the opening 10 minutes of the film. Mm -hmm. Like I constantly, every time I've been to the theater since I've been like, man, I should go early, find a showing of top. Oh my gosh. Just pop in for the beginning. (laughs) First 12 minutes and then leave because it stands alone as like its own Mm -hmm. short film. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's good stuff. It's go good see, stuff. Go see Top Gun Maverick. We're, we're going to keep talking about it forever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right guys well let's move on to some reviews we are going to be reviewing i don't even think we've said besides one of them what we're going to be reviewing but this episode we're going to be talking about elvis the movie uh and the black phone so Mm -hmm. two very different movies Mm -hmm. um but two really good ones two that i i both uh thoroughly enjoyed in their own ways the first of which elvis which i'll be talking about i did enjoy despite genuinely not thinking that i would yeah uh so this movie just titled elvis is a biopic of the king himself elvis presley uh it is a musical biopic which felt like before release to be in similar vein to the ones that we've seen very often in the past five years or so uh most notably bohemian rhapsody and then rocket man uh, even somewhat smaller ones like Respect last year, hmm. you're kind of typical, take a famous musician, get the legal rights to their music, find a famous actor, actress that look and like them and can at least pretend to sing uh, and then make your, your like cookie cutter life to deather, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's fr- like, that's, you know, literally yeah. what they're called. Like it's just your kind of standard, yeah. um, the story of their life. I hate those movies. I mm. really do. I I like Rocket Man decent. I think that Rocket Man, the way that it it was a musical, like there were musical numbers to the film that mm-hmm. defied like reality, that it was told exactly through mm. Elton John's perspective. Like he was presenting his story to the audience. I liked that, but still just not my favorite type of movie. Bohemian Rhapsody, I I absolutely did and it was compounded by how much awards attention it got the fact that that brought home like an editing award performance whatever I didn't agree with it but whatever but an editing award is just insane to me my problem with them is that they are such obvious attempts to just cash in on the public love for these people Hmm. people love elton john people love queen people love elvis people love aretha franklin so you make a movie where people get to go watch their story and they're going to make a ton of money but do you actually have something creative to say about their story do you Hmm. actually have not even something to creative to say about it but a unique way to present their story to the audience we all know their story for the most part maybe you can provide some some details that people didn't yeah. know otherwise, mm-hmm. but for the most part, we all relatively know, especially those who were like alive when those people were popular, right? know their stories. So it, the question becomes, you know, why make this? We talked about this a lot in the last episode. There's nothing I hate more than a movie that feels unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and these just simply do. And then on top of that, even from a storytelling perspective, the stories that are there are so basic. It is so easy to just read a biography about someone and say, okay, chapter one, that's going to be our scene one. Chapter two, that's going to yeah. be our scene two. Yeah. It starts from when they were a little kid. It ends when they're an old person and they die. That's the whole, you know, that's the whole story. Is that their story? Yes. Do we need to have it made like into this huge budget film? No. And so what it becomes is just a concert film. Hmm. It's just a way for people to go watch some of their favorite musicians' music recreated. Yeah. Yeah. 
we live in 2022 look up look it up on youtube like <laughs> even the oldest musicians you can find like live performances of them i i truly just don't understand like you watch the videos that compare the end or not the ending but the um uh the world oh what was the performance in bohemian rhapsody i'm forgetting oh mm-hmm. um, uh what was the uh, name of that? I want to say Live Aid. Yeah, Live Aid. Was that what it was called? Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you watch the Live Aid performance yeah. from the movie yeah. and the one from real life. And they're like, look, it's exactly the same. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I just don't. Yeah. I'd rather just watch the real one. Sure. Because like the camera is a little bit better and it's like not the <laughs> real people. I, I just don't get it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just becomes a concert movie. Like most of the story and most of the runtime of the film is just filled with replicating, seeing that person live, just like showing them playing live. And people are like, oh, this is so fun because like we love their music. So we Mm -hmm. like hearing it again. But again, it just then what is the need for making this a movie? Mm -hmm. A movie is not a concert. It's a movie. (laughs) So that's my problem with this genre. Okay. Here comes Elvis, right? It's been talked about for a while now. It's being made. Austin Butler playing Elvis, which we'll get to him later. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing about this film compared to the other films that I just mentioned that kind of tipped me off to maybe there's something different here before we even saw it Mm -hmm. was it's written and directed by Baz Luhrmann who has been an actor director in Hollywood for decades now. He doesn't make a lot of movies. He'll mm-hmm. usually only make a movie every eight years or so. But when he does, these things are, he's one of the most distinctive, um, at least visually, filmmakers out there. And I don't always like him. Hmm. So it was an interesting thing where I was like, here's a movie that sounds very basic. I'm so tired of these types of movies. Oh, it's being directed by like, a well-known director with a distinct style. Whereas these other ones were just directed by someone who could fill the, just like someone who could do it. They mm-hmm. weren't anyone special. No offense to those people. Sure. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. But then it's a director that I'm not a huge fan of. I find his movies to typically be style over substance. Uh, I love Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. I think Great Gatsby is just a flashy mess. I don't mm. think it's that good of a movie. Great Gatsby 2013. I think his movie Australia is a train wreck. So his Romeo and Juliet with Leo in the 90s was fun. But again, it's so much blaring style in your face. So flashy, so gaudy almost that it's like a bit distracting for me. But I thought, you know what? If anyone's going to bring to life Elvis, mm-hmm. it makes sense that Boslerman does it. Like that's a good creative decision on the producers to hire him and have him write this. And he really has talked about for years, his process of writing this movie and his passion for it. So I went into it with mixed hopes. I was, I was skeptical, but somewhat hopeful. I guess I was, I was skeptical of my own hopefulness for it. You know, I (laughs) thought had feelings of like, man, I feel like I might like this, but that scared me because there was a lot of things pointing to the fact that I wouldn't like this. And I'm happy to say that while it was far from a perfect movie, I really did enjoy it. Hmm. And I think that this feels like the movie that should have come out 10 years ago or so, and then had a bunch of trying to be Elvises like Hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody that just couldn't do it quite the same. 
Lerman's kinetic, eccentric, excited filmmaking tells the story of Elvis in a way that feels easy to follow. It feels at the end of it, like you did just kind of watch his life to death or yeah, but it messes around with the story enough in a way to keep it engaging and not just like scene after scene after scene of them just getting older and the next thing that happened and the next thing that happened to them. I feel like the the style of storytelling, and I'm not talking about the flashiness, I'm not talking about the bright colors or even the kind of exuberant like editing choices and all mm-hmm. that. That is fun and that's the style of Elvis. So that adds to it and it's the style of Baz Luhrmann. So it's a good pairing, but just the style of the storytelling while dizzying at times, while over the top, it comes the closest to visually representing the life of an artist and who that artist was and what that artist stood for than any other movie like it. Hmm. I truly, I truly think that. And again, not visually representing it through lots of colors because Elvis wore lots of colors. Yeah. I mean, truly through the way it tells the story, the beats of the story, the life of the story, the breadth of the story felt like it represented who Elvis was. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something I would love to see more of. That's a great reason to tell a story when you can come up with a way to tell this person's story in a way that is uniquely cinematic. This movie could not be a concert. It could not be even a documentary. Mm -hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody could be, it could Mm -hmm. be a documentary. It could just have been a concert where they just tell you some information about Freddie Mercury before and after. Yeah. This movie can only be a movie and it is so much better for that. Adding to the greatness of this film is, of course, Austin Butler in the lead role, who is genuinely terrific. Mm-hmm. I know there was like skepticism going in. He won't be nominated for an Oscar. Of course, Rami Malik won, and Austin Butler, I can almost guarantee you, will not be nominated for an Oscar. Interesting. But if he did, I would not be, I would not be upset about it at all. Yeah. I truly think yeah. that he deserves it. It's one of those performances where at the end of the movie they show real footage of Elvis, yeah. and your brain goes, Oh yeah, that's what he looks like. Yeah. Because I truly thought I was watching Elvis for the past like two and a half hours. Freddie Mercury always looked like, or Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury always looked like Rami Malek as Freddie Mm. Mercury. Did he get down the mannerisms and the voice and stuff and the prosthetic buck teeth and stuff? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he did. Mm. I'm not saying that that performance wasn't good. Even like Taron Egerton, I loved his performance in Rocket Man, Mm -hmm. but like, and maybe it's, it's a sense of like, Austin Butler isn't as big as Rami Malek and Taron Egerton were yeah, like yeah. right before he took it. Austin Butler doesn't have a ton of hits to his name. He's big yeah. amongst like younger audiences, but in terms of Hollywood, like Rami Malek was uh, coming off of, well, at least like his Mr. Robot wins and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So maybe Rami Malek was less known to the general public, but like Taron Egerton had just had Kingsman like two yeah. years earlier and all that yeah. stuff. Austin Butler like when watching this movie, I simultaneously forgot what the actor looked like in real life and forgot mm-hmm. what Elvis looked like in real life. The only thing I knew was this performance of Elvis. And it truly, truly was mesmerizing. I have nothing but good things to say mm-hmm. about his performance. I love the fact too, that they allowed him to not necessarily look that much like Elvis at times. Yeah. Naturally, he looks a decent amount like the real person but when you see the like real footage at the end of the movie and you go oh yeah that's what he looked like you do that because you're like oh yeah he didn't 
actually look that much like he did in the movie. They style his hair the same way. Mm-hmm. Later in life, they add some pounds and some like um, self-tan type of stuff. But for the most part, they just find a guy who looks relatively like him. They do the makeup, they do the hair, but they don't give him like prosthetic teeth is what I'm saying. They don't right. give him like fake uh, eye uh, or like contacts to change yeah. the color of his eyes. They just allow the performance that Butler nails mm-hmm. to captivate the audience and make them believe that this is Elvis Presley. Yeah. And there's not a moment from beginning to end that you don't believe that. Um, other performance in the movies, other performances in the movie, I have less kind things to say about. Sure. Tom Hanks plays uh, Colonel, 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 <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker, um, who is Elvis's agent throughout his career and kind of the bad guy of the movie, the main antagonist. And he's just so over, he seems like a Bond villain. He's constantly sporting this accent that never never you never get used to it as an audience no. i don't know what the accent is supposed to be it's supposed I, to be dutch uh, i think part of the movie because he does kind of a, have a mysterious background mm-hmm. is that like it may it's kind of one of those accents that like doesn't feel like it does fit anywhere yeah yeah um but like this movie is long first of all two hours and 39 minutes long and throughout that time 20 minutes short of three hours still at the end when he, when tom parker is like saying the last words i'm like this feels weird it yeah. just it, it doesn't click for me i don't hate the performance entirely i actually that's not true i really don't like the performance why i am okay with it why it doesn't derail the movie is because he is the point of view of the story and i think that that offers a really interesting way to tell elvis's story it's not told through elvis's eyes it's told right. through parker's eyes and again, in comparison to something like Rhapsody or even Rocketman, even though I think Rocketman did a good job with making it um, Edgerton's, or not Edgerton's, uh, Elton John's POV, I like the fact that we just kind of witnessed Elvis do his thing. And I also think that there's a, res- there's a respect level there. Like Elton John is alive. He mm-hmm. was on set during mm-hmm. the making of Rocketman. Neither um, Freddie Mercury or Elvis are alive. So it feels, it already feels weird enough kind of to make a movie like impersonating that person, but let alone to kind of claim that it's, this is their thoughts. Like if Elvis were to have narrated this would just feel kind of wrong and disrespectful to someone who is not here to legitimately speak for himself. Um, So I think that it was a good decision to tell it through Parker's eyes. Also, it creates a conflict of the film. There's a lot of stuff in Elvis's life that this movie doesn't touch on. Mm-hmm. A lot of conflicts within, within himself that are really messy and really complicated that it just kind of brushes over because that's not the questions that this movie is trying to ask. The central conflict that it kind of um, presents is this conflict between Parker kind of trying to control and financially manipulate Elvis throughout his career. Yeah. But that makes for an engaging story rather than just their this person's story, like mm-hmm. their life to death. So I I liked having him as a character. I liked having him as a point of view. I liked having him as a narrator and and a, a an angle to tell the story from. I didn't like his performance. Mm-hmm. And basically every time he was on screen, 
it wasn't my favorite thing, yeah. which is like a lot of the movie. <laughs> all in all, this movie was better than it had any right to be in my mind. And even since the showing, I have only kind of grown to like it more in my mind. Hmm. So much so that I'm considering re-seeing it, even though it is like crazy long. Yeah. It feels very long. And I like long movies. We've watched plenty of other movies recently that hit that over two and a half hour mark. Mm -hmm. This one felt the longest. This felt mm -hmm. longer than Dances with Wolves. This felt longer than Titanic. Um, it, it does wear on you. And and that's not to say that I think that there's a ton in here that's unnecessary. Yeah, that's not true. I think that there's a lot that's unnecessary, but that's Lerman. Like hmm. it, it is stylish. It is over the top, but I didn't hate it. I don't think that it's even too long. I think that it's right where it should be, but it is just simply long. So the mm -hmm. thought of revisiting or something, you have to take that into consideration, mm -hmm. uh, but it is really, really good. It's more than just watching Elvis perform live. It yeah. truly does feel like you are watching a, vis a visual representation of, of who Elvis was. And I think that's really cool. And I think that this is asking the right questions that biopics, at least musical biopics should. Um, this is asking, you know, what do the audience, what do we, the audience need to know and hear and see about this person to kind of visually capture their, this life. And if this trend continues, which it probably will, because they do make a lot of money mm -hmm. and the performances regularly get awards talk. I think that this is the new blueprint. Hmm. That's interesting. I am not overly familiar, not even relatively familiar with Baz Luhrmann's work. I have seen Moulin Rouge. I did not see The Great Gatsby. Um, and I haven't seen anything else he's done. So I've only seen Moulin Rouge and it's been many, many years since I've seen it. So I, as I've been talking to people about it over this past week, so many people have been like, oh, it was such a Baz film. Oh, it was such a Baz film. And that just doesn't <laughs> mean anything to me. Yeah. So I, I don't think I, I certainly was not prepared for and expecting what this was. And especially how quickly it started like mm -hmm. from the very start it is dizzying it is chaotic it is everywhere it it was a lot and i yeah. wasn't expecting that going into it i also wasn't expecting it to be told from colonel the colonel's perspective so i think i was anticipating more of like from elvis's perspective his story and it's not that so and then coupled with the fact that I really hated Tom Hanks's character, mm -hmm. like not only his portrayal of him, but just his character in general is a terrible person. But I mean, so much can be said about the agent manager role in right. celebrity and artists lives and how much control they have, how much um, direction and influence they have over someone's career. So I understand the, the uniqueness and the importance of it being being told from his perspective. That is really interesting. Um, but again, I just, I, my mindset going into it wasn't that. So mm -hmm. I think it took a little bit for me to, I just didn't like him <laughs> and that made it hard to, yeah. 
he is a, a significant part of the very long film. Um, I did love Austin Butler. I thought he, he was certainly my favorite part of it and mm-hmm. just his, um, yeah, it's always so interesting to see the actual footage of performers after you have just watched, you know, two and a half hours of right. Austin Butler's Elvis to then so seamlessly transition into the same performance of Elvis, of actual Elvis. It was just amazing how well he captured him and his essence and just all that he was. So well done to him. I don't feel like I have seen him uh, a ton of his stuff. So even prior to this movie, I regularly have had to go look at IMDb to look at a picture of Austin Butler because I just <laughs> have very little reference for yeah. for him and and who he is. So uh, yeah, I thought he was fantastic. Um, it did feel too long to me, and in a in a sense of like. There were multiple songs that were sung multiple times. Like, I think you ain't nothing but a hound dog played like (laughs) probably five or six times. And that just felt a little excessive. And then there was another um, sequence of this uh, Christmas special that he's making that was like just way too long. It felt uh, it felt like if they could have shortened some of those aspects or removed some of the repetitiveness of some of those things, maybe it could have held me a little bit longer than it did. I think it really started to lose me at the end. So I have felt very conflicted about this one since Mm. I have seen it and really have gone back and forth between like, I don't think I like that, but then also I can think of aspects of it. And I think, yeah, that was really interesting. And I liked that. So it's a confusing one for me. Yeah, I mean, trust me, no one more so than myself would have guessed before seeing the movie, or at least a couple of weeks before seeing the movie, that I would have hated it. Um, but I think I'm firmly in the camp of having really liked it. I think it's a good movie. Again, yeah. not perfect. There's plenty of flaws. And, and I sure. honestly could have easily skipped over them. Um, there's plenty more that I could probably dissect. But I don't necessarily want to because I don't want to like, I think people have rightful um, concerns about seeing this movie, like Mm -hmm. after just the amount of musical biopics that we've had and how Mm -hmm. lackluster they have been, people have justified concerns. And I don't want to like add that because I do think that this is one to seek out. Yeah, certainly unique. And I think you brought up a lot of really interesting uh, points, especially in comparison to the the big recent musical biopics that we've had mm-hmm. recently, it does absolutely feel different, um, which is one great. One thing I want to defend Austin Butler a bit, which I know like no one, no like young, like TikTok generation people listen to our podcast. I don't think so. I don't know. Who knows? I hope not. If you do <laughs> get out, no, get out of here. <laughs> no, we're um, on TikTok now. Why we have to. Oh, that's them. true. That's true. TikTokers follow, follow us on TikTok. <laughs> Um, no, but I've seen a lot and I've even heard uh, some people say like, oh my gosh, have you seen Austin Butler's interviews? Like he yeah. thinks he's Elvis. It's so embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. Then I've gone and watched those interviews and like, I've never once heard him say that he thinks he's Elvis. Totally. I've heard him say like, this voice is like hard to like get rid of. Yeah. And 
I've seen videos where like, it's like him doing a wired autocomplete interview and he, you know, those are. No. It's so crazy. Oh, it's so nuts how people's like, you think that you know all the internet and then you talk to someone like pretty similar to you and there's something I've watched so many wired autocomplete interviews. It's the YouTube videos where like they take a famous person and then they give them a Google board and oh. say, uh, say it's Austin Butler. Yeah. And it's like, and they take uh, the paper off. Yep. And they take the paper oh, yeah. off. Yeah. I, oh, just, okay. I just didn't know what that was called, but yeah, they always I've seen say those. I'm doing the wired autocomplete interview. Oh, anyway, I missed that. Part. I've seen so many of those. <laughs> um, but he's like, there's a video of him doing that and his voice is all low or whatever. And then a video mm-hmm. of an interview of him like three, four years ago. And it's like much higher, just like mm-hmm. different, not mm-hmm. like high, but like yeah. just different. And they're like, yeah. this isn't like what he sounds like. And yeah. I'm like, I think it is now. Yeah. Like, I-, I do like voices sometimes. I've done like impressions before doing them for like a couple minutes, maybe even more. And afterwards for a second, you're like, and then like, you have to yeah. take a sentence or two to like work your like, wait, which one is, can you like, that is hard enough. Can you imagine spending, they shot this over like two years. He was mm-hmm. like preparing to be this character and truly dedicating yourself to talking like mm-hmm. a person, acting, dressing, walking, breathing, eating, singing like a person. It would like, there is a chance. I don't, I'm not claiming any science here, <laughs> but if there was like a scientific study done that was like, no he like your mind can like yeah mentally or like your mind can physically alter your vocal cords yeah if you like try hard enough yeah it'd be like yeah that's a good example of it yeah like if he just sounds like that for the rest of his career or life you know when you were younger and you were making a funny face at your siblings and your mom would be like stop doing that your face is gonna get stuck yeah, like your that. eyes are gonna get that's, stuck that's what happened to austin butler <laughs> and he people have he's like done interviews about it and he yeah. has that he has admitted like he spent so much time literally trying having to change the way that his mouth moves to mimic Elvis and the way yeah. that he talked and the way that yeah, he looked. Yeah, the way that you like shape your throat and stuff. Yeah, like. totally. So then now being in like press mode, he has gotten back into the character essentially. Yeah. And it's just like a natural response to him thinking and talking about Elvis. He's from Anaheim. It's not like he has a, you know, Southern, Southern accent yeah. or whatever. No, um, I know. But, but yeah, just that's like, like fully, fully took on the character. And like, even the interview was that I have seen, he says, like, I think sometimes like I hear myself and I'm like, wait, this isn't my Do voice. Or like, like, is that? it my yeah. voice? Like, yeah. but it's like, no, it's not. If you're saying your voice is the natural thing that you grew up, like what your body just naturally morphed your vocal cords into, then mm-hmm. no, it's not. Mm-hmm. But is your voice as in, is it like literally the voice that you've adopted for yourself over years mm-hmm. now? Yeah. Like. You people don't do that all the time. People do that all the time. Yeah. I was going to say that people like change the way they talk. Yeah. I have a falsetto of a talking voice, but I just purposely talk like this so that it's hard for you guys <laughs> to hear over speakers in your car when your bass is too low. Have you ever listened to us in the car and you're like, is Wyatt uh, yeah, not talking? We're very- <laughs> and then you turn up the bass a little bit and you're like, oh, okay. Oh, there but then you, But then you, or not turn up the bass, you turn down the bass. But then when you do that, all of a sudden Heather's like screaming in your <laughs> <laughs> we our voices are very much on opposite They're sides very different. of the range. Yeah. Yeah. But you think of even like um the Kardashians and what they have done for the image of like 
LA Orange County females, the vocal fry that girls yeah. will talk with, like all of that yeah. is a choice. <laughs> like you're choosing to sound like that. You're choosing to talk like that. Um, and it's the same for Austin Butler. And I think he's just a little stuck. I don't think he's going to sound like that forever. I think he'll morph into whatever post Elvis Austin Butler sounds even like, if but it's does. not a bad thing. Even if he does, it's sexy. Keep it going. Like, <laughs> Go what? for it, Austin. Go for it, buddy. It really you works for it. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he should just like be Elvis. He just changes his name to Elvis too. And then like just live out the rest of his life. Totally. Yeah. As a reincarnation of Elvis. Yeah. Oh, it's an interesting thought. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You want to move on to our next movie? I would love to move on. The next movie that we're going to be talking about is The Black Phone. And The Black Phone is based off of the short story by the same name. And it is written by Joe Hill, who is the son of writer Stephen King. Uh, And Joe Hill joined forces with writer-director Scott Derrickson to bring this adaptation of his short story to life on the big screen. And Scott Derrickson, if you are not familiar, you probably are, or you might be. Uh, He is best known uh, for his work on the exorcism of Emily Rose, as well as Sinister. uh, And then of course, Dr. Strange, the first one. So uh, Scott Derrickson is also an alum of Wyatt and Mai's alma mater. So that's kind of fun. A little little shout out there. Mm -hmm. Um, We feel so connected to Scott Derrickson. So So connected. So connected. Uh, But the Black Phone is the story of a Denver suburb where children have started mysteriously going missing. And the latest victim that has been taken by who has been dubbed as the grabber is Finney, a 13 year old boy. And after Finney gets taken, we get kind of an inside look at where he's being kept. Uh, And then in this, um, cellar room that he's being kept in there is a black phone that is mounted on the wall uh that is not connected to anything it's just a black phone that's mounted um that through some conversations that he has on that phone we begin to get to unravel kind of the pieces of where he is what's the story of um the other kids who have gone missing before him uh etc so this movie is certainly not without its flaws but i I really enjoyed it. And I think I have, I have enjoyed it even more as I continue to kind of think and, um, process it. So I think if I had to rate it, I would probably give it a seven out of 10, but here's a little bit about the movie. Um, First and foremost, it just has some really solid standout performances. I would say that we have three main characters in the movie and, all three of them were really excellent. So the first of which is Finney, um, the 13-year-old boy who is played by Mason Thames. Thames? I'm not sure. I'm not not sure sure. how you say his last name. Um, But he was really the perfect combination of like sweet and innocent, but also like mature and wise beyond his years. He is the oldest in his family. And it's clearly a family that has experienced a lot of trauma, a lot of loss. And Finney has often had to become the man of the house and um, really like a leader for, for him and for his sister. And he is also very much shown as this like 
loyal, caring friend to his peers who are mm-hmm. kind of also on the outskirts. But ultimately he is just he's just trying to figure it out. He's just trying to figure out his place in the world and um just yeah, such a a pivotal moment in his life of of being on the cusp of being a teenager. So um yeah, I think he just gets thrust into this dark and impossible situation. And he has this moment, these moments of kind of falling apart, but then also just being strong and kind of knowing what he has to do and thinking through it and just taking the steps that he has to, to fight for himself. So I Mm -hmm. really, really loved him. I, uh, this is one of the first things that Mason has done. He hasn't done a ton yet. Um, but through this performance, I would not be surprised if, if just a whole host of things get opened up for him. Um, cause he was just excellent and really holds like, um, a lot of the weight of the movie, uh, oh, yeah. you know, like he is the main character. So, yeah. uh, I thought he, he did awesome. Uh, secondly is Gwen, who is Finney's sister, and she is played by Madeline McGraw. And Gwen has equally taken on a lot of trauma in her young life. We see a lot of that unfold in front of us, particularly uh, in her relationship with her dad, who is alcoholic, he is abusive, um, but is also her dad. And she is a young girl and um, I think is like really battling with, uh, something that is happening with her personally. And, um, it's kind of attached to just, just family trauma. So she is processing a lot, uh, on her own and just as Mason, I think perfectly captures that balance between like innocence and maturity. Madeline also does a great job. I think I also enjoyed the fact that, there are a lot of young kids who are in this movie, but, but they're, and although they are innocent because they are young, they're also like just, uh, adult. They deal with a lot of adult things like, um, bullying and language and living on their own and abusive parents and whatever. So I appreciated that it didn't shy away from like, yeah, these are young kids, but they're also dealing with some intense adult things. Mm -hmm. Um, so Madeline actually has done quite a bit in her, uh, young life (laughs) in her young career. Um, so I additionally just think that this I'm hopeful that it'll open up a lot for her um, as she goes forward from here. But last but not least is the performance from Ethan Hawke, who plays the grabber. And he actually is not, he does not get a ton of screen time, Mm -mm. but the impact that he and his character leave in the small moments that we get for with him is just so impressive. Like the, uh, just the intensity, the horror, the tension that is built from him and his character is phenomenal. He, uh, the majority of the film is wearing a mask, this devil mask that throughout the film actually takes on multiple different forms and, um, 
sometimes it's just over his eyes. Sometimes it's just his mouth. Sometimes it's smiling. Sometimes it's not. It was just like the mask probably could have been considered a character in its own right. Cause it just carries a lot of, um, tone and emotion. So, um, Ethan Hawke is, is fantastic and is absolutely terrifying in this. So just some really solid performances. I'll talk in a minute about, um, yeah, some other performances I didn't care for as much, but those three felt so solid to me and just, uh, very much carried the, the performative aspect of the film. Uh, I did love how, uh, kind of opposite of Elvis, this is a very punchy packed film. It sits at an hour and 43 minutes. It felt consistent and just like, uh, I don't know, beautifully paced, kept me engaged and just felt efficient and Mm -hmm. accomplished what it wanted to accomplish in this compact little package. Um, Again, I'll talk about in a second how I would have loved to, I would actually have loved for it to be a little bit longer, but I do feel like it accomplished a lot in the short time, relatively short time um, that we had with it. And then last but not least, I felt like this was genuinely terrifying. I think it it has a lot of different elements to it. It is emotional and character driven and there's drama involved, um, but it also is just like a, a tense and scary theme. I think, especially when you think about literally just the premise of it, of this small town, um, in the seventies, that's like supposed to be this little safe haven and kids are just going missing. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that alone is a terrifying thought. Um, and I loved it. I loved how it again, built the tension throughout the throughout the course of the runtime it has a couple of well-placed jump scares that got me I'm not usually like a a a super jumpy person but they got me good um and yeah so I think when you just pair all of those things together I thought it was great it's not um like excessively or unnecessarily gory it just felt like it knew what it was and it executed it well. So anything you want to add before I go on to a couple other things? Things that I liked. Yeah. Yeah. uh, There was a lot to love in this movie. I really did enjoy it. Um, I think that it, for me, it was scary. It operated less in my mind as a horror movie Mm -hmm. um, and more as a, like dark dark thriller with yeah. a supernatural element to it yes yeah but what i loved is the supernatural element to it felt so organic it mm-hmm. fit into the story so well the the like supernatural element was given enough time to kind of be thought of and brew before it was truly used in the movie yeah. that it didn't feel supernatural i had to think about it afterwards and think oh yeah there was like straight up magic in that movie mm-hmm. but it did not feel like that at the time which i love that I, I don't like when you start a film and they just have to be like all right before we get started just so you know in this world this magic exists so this yeah. can happen yeah and it just like an exposition dump at the beginning to explain the rules to you this the rules came about it, they revealed themselves very slowly and by the time that 
the supernatural elements were really in full play. It just felt so organically grown. Um, I've had the pleasure of reading the source material. I hmm. bought about the book back in January. And actually, when I bought the book, I saw it in an airport on my way back from Green Bay. Um, and I saw it and I was like, oh, that's coming out. Like, I'll, I'll yeah. read that. I'll start reading on the plane. It looked fairly small and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a horror book. Those are uh, page turners, easy to yeah. read. Yeah. It wasn't until after I bought it that I realized that it was just a short story collection yeah. that they have now renamed the Black Phone Story Collection because mm. of the movie. Uh-huh. Um, and so when I just looked at the cover, I saw Ethan Hawke's face on it and the Black yeah. Phone and I thought it was a full novel. Underneath the Black Phone, it says Short Story Collection by Joe Hill, who, like you said, is the son of Stephen King. Yeah. Um, so I, I first flipped to the black phone to read that, but I've actually, I do want to give a quick shout out to this story collection and Joe Hill as a writer. I've read now probably three quarters of the 25 or so stories in there mm-hmm. and they're really good. Hmm. They're really good. Um, you know, the apple has not fallen far from the tree, yeah. especially he loves that sweet spot of just like supernatural thriller. Even one my favorite story of the collection called 20th century ghost this has nothing to do with the movie we're reviewing it's just a pure shout out you mm-hmm. could probably just google 20th century ghost pdf and probably find it. it's like yeah. 20 pages long is this supernatural romance um about a movie theater mm-hmm. and it's really really good it's really really good i'm hoping that gets some yeah adaptation or something at some point yeah. but back to the story I think that this movie does a really good job at adapting the story there's almost no inconsistencies with the story mm-hmm. that i know of and and I think that it's um, it is props to Derrickson, but also props to Hill with his writing this of forming this very engaging, very intense supernatural thriller yeah. that just feels so it it doesn't feel like a Stranger Things that is trying so hard to be a piece of the '80s. Mm-hmm. This feels like a movie that came out in the '80s. If you if you were to like like grade the uh, film a little bit lower or something like that and show that to someone and say, Hey, this came out in 1983. I feel like they'd believe it. It really does feel like this organic piece um, from the year or it came, it was supposed to take place in the eighties, correct? Either the seventies or the eighties. I don't remember. But in its time period and yeah. And the supernatural elements just really feel a part of the world. And I think that's like the biggest standout for me. Yeah. Um, just a, a quick and little bit of a tangent, since you mentioned, mentioned stranger things today, I found out slash realized that Robin from stranger things is the daughter of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. Yeah. I yeah. had no idea. Yep. <laughs> what a revelation. Uh, so Maya Hawk. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. So as far as <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, oh, nepotism. <laughs> She's I don't know if that's nepotism. More yeah. so just like family Hollywood. privilege. Yeah, it's it's tough like that conversation because there's so many more than you realize within Hollywood sure. and the music industry yeah, that you're like Dakota Johnson or like whoever, yeah. like everyone's child of who. And even when I was like reading these stories, I was like Joe Hill, son of Stephen King. Sure. It's tough to argue. He's a great writer. Yeah. Like he really is. Runs in the family. I guess so. Yeah. As far as a couple of the things that I didn't love so much about this movie, I really did not enjoy the first mm, 20, 30 minutes as they're doing a lot of 
character setup, which again, I understand the importance of that. And as we go throughout, I get it. We needed to meet them. We need to know who they are. It goes through meeting kind of, um, kids, a bunch of different kids in this community. However, there was just some real cheesy writing that made Mm. me nervous for what the tone of the rest of the movie was going to be. So I do feel like there was a distinct shift eventually that as Finney is taken, as we really transition into the bulk of the film, we we it doesn't completely go away, but it's far less. And it feels like the movie matures. Yes, 100%. Um, I, I also think that a large part of that is the ensemble of kids, like at the high school yeah, stuff, just yeah. aren't like always the best actors. Whereas, yeah. um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the actor's name, Mason Thames, Mason, yeah. Thames is really strong. So sure. once you eliminate the kind of like big high school setting and it's just him to kind of yeah. showcase the full breadth of emotions that mm-hmm. he's experiencing, he really he really hones in and he really capitalizes on that. When yeah. you have 20, 20 child actors in a hallway trying to represent a high school, it's not always yeah. going to feel. And then, yeah, some pretty cheesy writing in there yeah. as well. Yeah. So I was just a little bit nervous at the beginning, but once I settled into it, my yeah, just really, really enjoyed the rest. Um, and then I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I would have loved to know the grabber's background. I wanted his story. I wanted to know who he is, what brought him to the point of committing these acts. What's mm. the deal with the mask? How could he, I don't want to, I don't want to keep going. Cause I'm going to say yeah. too much, but um, we really don't get any context for him and his story. And maybe that adds to the horror is that we have, we don't know him and we don't know um, just the background that has gotten him here. But, but when I mentioned that I would have been okay with it being longer, that's the piece that I would have been okay making it longer <laughs> was yeah. if they were able to like incorporate more of his story and maybe also not including his story doesn't give us a chance to humanize him. He is just like straight up mm-hmm. bad guy. But anyways, what are your thoughts on that? So his story, I don't know. I haven't really put too much thought into that. I don't know. Part of me really, I liked that there are things. And again, I'm going to be very vague here um, just because I'm trying to stay away from spoilers, but mm-hmm. there are things said like certain specific sentences said or alluded to or mentioned about him, about who he is, about what he does, Uh uh that we never really fully see the like execution or outcome of. And I like that because it's terrifying. Like they say like, oh, something, something. (laughs) This is so big. (laughs) This is so big. I'm sorry. I'm trying to stay away from spoilers. So I'll just move on from that. But I think that I like that there are like specific things put out there And Mm -hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, that must be like this thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you never get to fully see it and your imagination (laughs) wanders. So (laughs) vague. (laughs) (laughs) This thing. Um, But I I did like that. I don't think I really wanted to see his story. I don't want to humanize him that way. Mm -hmm. I agree that his presence in the film for more, like especially in the first 20, 30 minutes would have been appreciated. Uh, more so than just like the quick little vignettes of like his van that we see mm-hmm, mm-hmm. truly seeing him. I think 
and I saw this with my friend Max um, and his wife Haley. And afterwards, Max was a little disappointed by the movie. I think he was thinking something more sinister esque that just right. like, again, I know you said it was really scary. I do think that this movie was scary. Sinister is like genuinely terrifying. Yeah. It's so freaking scary. Have you seen Sinister? No, I haven't. It's so scary. This movie wasn't on that same level of just like pure adrenaline rush fear for so yeah. much of the movie. Yeah. Um, so I think he was expecting something like that. Yeah. You know, wasn't wasn't quite delivered to with that. But he said he would have loved to see the grabber kind of around town. Mm. Like, how does he grocery shop? What does he do right. when he's not doing yes. this? Yes. So I think less of like his story and background, because to tell someone's story and to be like, this is how they got there, immediately invites the audience to empathize with sure. the things that happen to them that lead to that. I think seeing them in the real world, seeing them act friendly, do nice things, seeing yeah. him open a door, seeing him like compliment um, someone's outfit, seeing yeah. him tip a waiter or waitress. Like, yeah, those are nice things to do seeing someone who you know is a serial killer do that adds to the horror of who they are because sure. you think how can a monster live so normally among, like us. This at that time? Mm-hmm. among us yeah so mm-hmm. i think that would have been a good addition if you wanted to see more personally i liked about how much he was in the movie yeah again i would have liked to see more at the beginning i didn't need too much more mm-hmm. from him but if you were going to add i think that would be the way to do it not yeah. like background or explanation as mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. yeah yeah I loved Ethan Hawke. And so I, I would have been happy to just have more of him, uh, in some capacity, but yeah, there were just a lot of unanswered questions for his character throughout. Yeah. Um, the other character that I did not enjoy a whole lot, who does actually have some, a good amount of time is the kid's dad. Um, he, yeah, plays a, a pretty influential role, especially in Gwen's life and her, uh, kind of processing through some things. And I just didn't like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, not only like his character is just an awful character, but the I didn't love the performance. Yeah. yeah. It Which felt, is- it just felt a little lower level than mm-hmm. even literally compared to the kids that were yeah. acting. It definitely did, especially in like high intensity moments. Yeah. Jeremy Davies, who plays him as a character actor, he's been around in Hollywood forever. I've seen him do really great work and I'm always excited when I see his face. So I was really disappointing, mm. disappointed by his performance here. He wasn't given the best writing. Um, he wasn't even given the best like really like scenes or material to chew on. Yeah. So I'm not blaming him necessarily. I was just disappointed by the outcome as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing about uh madeline mcgraw who plays um the sister uh gwen Gwen. she too was a little hit or miss for me Hmm. there were scenes of more calm dialogue that i really or even when she's like attempting to kind of be humorous yeah it didn't click for me i was like oh this is pretty bad child acting where she really excelled is the intense high intensity totally high intensity she really excelled there were Mm -hmm. there were moments of screaming crying whatever that I was like, man, she is killing it. This is, this Mm -hmm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. What's unfortunate is where Jeremy Davies, who played her father fell apart. The quieter moments where you saw him as a man who's been through a lot himself, a man who does at the end of the day, have love in some way for his children. Yeah. He actually did. Okay. He felt like that tortured kind of abusive father figure. Mm -hmm. Not that Mm -hmm. we should empathize with him, but he Mm -hmm. hit that mark. 
when he had to kind of blow up and like really over, well, he shouldn't have overacted, but he did end up overacting mm-hmm. in these high intensity moments are when he fell apart. So you have these unfortunate scenes between him and Madeline McGraw where he is like, oh man, his lines are just not hitting. I'm supposed to be like so fearful of him. And yet like, he's just not doing well. But yeah. then on the flip side, Madeline McGraw is selling the yeah. hell out of her performance yeah. and her emotion. So it's just like, it's a little bit of a, a Mitch miss, miss, match mismatch 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 i know why my brain decided that that wasn't a real thing right before i said it um but Mm. it was a little bit of a mismatch there in performances unfortunately but the other two performances and you might still have more to say but i'll just touch on performances as a whole like i said with mason thames already truly like spanned the entire um width of what a human or the young boy can experience um or like yeah can experience let alone like should ever have to experience yeah and did it really well especially the moments where he is alone which i would Mm -hmm. think i don't act but i would assume that's the hardest to act in um is being alone he excels even more um Mm -hmm. he plays like the kind of nerdy picked on role while Mm -hmm. still being like a complete person Mm -hmm. and a strong person on his own who just gets bullied at school because kids are dicks sure really really well and then of course ethan hawk who is one of my favorite actors Mm -hmm. is absolutely fantastic he's so terrifying in this movie in an unfortunately very realistic way like just a guy like an old not even that old just like a guy who is sick and does horrible things like you said the mask plays a character i love the fact that you have a character like ethan hawk who is the most famous person in this movie by like a million miles. Like it's yeah. not even close. Oh, the 100%. next most famous is probably Jeremy Davies. Yeah. And he's been like a side supporting actor his entire career. Um, he is so famous. And yet I can't think of one scene where we see his entire face. Mm-hmm. There's so many actors that would say, no, 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 no. You're not going to cover up my face all the yeah. time. You're going to use me to sell the movie. There's a scene where he's wearing no mask with like glasses and a hat, but even still, it's like this big old top hat and mm-hmm. glasses. And his face is painted. Oh yeah. And his face is painted. Mm-hmm. So like to, to, to be able to give a performance like this behind a mask yeah, where you can't see his mouth or his eyes half the time yeah, is incredible. But then to like make that decision for the movie is so good and what a year he's having of supporting characters um he was in moon knight and this uh and then in the northman as well yeah i love ethan hawk so yeah. i'll yeah. take all of ethan hawk i can get but especially in this he was really good mm-hmm. yeah i will say that uh jeremy davies reminded me visually of Petey. <laughs> Uh, the comedian slash musical artist. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he kind of does. So unfortunately, when I when <laughs> that thought came into my mind, that's kind of all I could continue thinking about every time I saw him. So that's so funny. Yeah, but anything that's else so that funny. you does look like him? Yeah, anything else you would want to add about the black phone? No, I think I have said most of what I feel about it. I, I again, I don't think it's perfect. Um, but I would definitely recommend it, especially mm-hmm. if you're in the mood for just a good solid horror movie right now. Yeah. Um, it won't be the scariest movie you ever watched, yeah. but I think that it's um, a really good mix of a couple of different genres. Um, mm-hmm. And 
uh, yeah, does it really well. I will say that it is, uh, you know, it, it uses sound and lack thereof in a really, uh, specific way and mm-hmm. to build that tension. So it is, uh, in many parts, a very quiet film. And there was a lady two seats over from me who I kid you not, I would not have been surprised if she was literally chewing on a head of iceberg lettuce. She, whatever she was eating was so crunchy. I go to a movie theater that serves you food and I cannot even fathom what is on their menu that she would have ordered that could have gotten that kind of crunch. It was simultaneously really impressive and also terribly distracting. She and ordered like crunchy tacos, but just the shells. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just it could be tortilla chips. It, yeah. it did sound like lettuce, but also could have been like a chicken strip. I don't know. Um, but it felt like she was eating for a long time. And then at one point, the guy that she was with said, this movie's really quiet. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it should be, oh, except gosh. your rabbit yeah. girlfriend here is chomping on a head of lettuce. So anyways, just uh, uh, just a note about my viewing of the black phone. But that's funny. I did genuinely enjoy it. And again, has been one that I think has even uh, grown more on me as I have thought about it more. Like you said, like I said, not perfect, but uh, I enjoyed it. Well, what a, what a like delightfully surprising episode for me. These are, these are two movies that easily I could have just hated. And like, I, I want to have been like, oh my gosh, I knew I was going to hate both those movies, but like, I would have been like, yeah, okay. Not the end of the world. Like not the, not the biggest thing. Um, not the biggest shock to me, but I really, uh, really enjoyed them both. Uh, and it's fun when we get a pairing of films that I feel, uh, really good about recommending yeah. both of uh, mm-hmm. them. So Guys, go see these movies if you haven't already. If you have already, reach out to us. Let us know what you think about them. We would love to hear from you. Seriously, we love it so much uh, when anyone reaches out to us in any way, even just to say hi. It's great. Yeah. So find us uh, uh, on Instagram and TikTok at Two Takes on Film. Reach out to us personally. And yeah, we'll see you soon for a couple more reviews. We've got a lot coming out soon. Until then. Watch as many movies as you can, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Shiny song is one of the worst songs ever written for a Disney movie. <laughs> or any movie. Mm. Period. That's horrible. Or just any song written. Ever. Ever. It's pretty bad. It's catchy though. No, it's not. Like, is it not stuck in your head now? No, I literally can't think of what it sounds like because I it just le- like left my mind immediately. <laughs> <laughs>